open our Bibles once again this morning and continue to consider the Lord's Word on this New Year's Eve. James chapter 4, and we'll read verses 13 through 15. We won't do a word-by-word, word-for-word study of this passage, but this will set us off in our considerations this morning. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And our dear practical brother James says there, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to, or go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And with that simple and practical, pragmatic statement, let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, knowing you are the Almighty, the All-Knowing, the All-Powerful, and the All-Loving God. We thank you, Lord, that you have a will and purpose for each of your people. Father, you have the strength to give us to accomplish that will that you have for us. So help us, Father, always to come to you looking for what you have for us. Not making our own way, not making our own determinations without considering your perfect plan. Help us, Father, to desire that perfection in our lives and rejoice in your willingness to give it to us. Bless this word to our hearts this morning. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it seems to me that every time an occasion comes, this being New Year's Eve, it seems like every time an occasion comes or a holiday comes sometime around a church service, that whenever I preach, I tend to say, you know, I don't preach to the occasion, but <laughs> I'm going to preach to Christmas. And so I, I, I looked throughout my, throughout, uh, well, a number of different lessons that are dated and filed and all of those things. Unfortunately, Technology allows us to do such things and peruse and, and consider probably to a level that I shouldn't probably. But that being said, I've preached to Christmas, I've preached to Halloween, to Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, Independence Day. I've preached to Purim. Uh, none of us are Jewish here, but I have preached in regards to that. Yom Kippur, I've mentioned such things. Uh, a number of different... Valentine's Day, I've preached in regards to Valentine's Day. So I'm I need to just stop saying I'm going. Don't like to preach to the occasion because it seems that I do. <laughs> that being said, I'm going to preach to New Year's Eve, New Year's Day this morning, and I'm not going to apologize for it because you know uh, it was just. It is what the what it is. This is what the Lord put on my heart, uh, and I'm okay with that. And so, as we shut down this year of 2023, and should the Lord tarry another. 16 hours, something along, well, 13 hours, I suppose. We will see 2024 open up. I hope to see the back of my eyelids when 2024 comes into fruition, but whatever you're doing tonight, is that's up to you. That being said, uh, as I have spoken and mentioned a number of different New Year's Eves past, uh, resolutions come up in my mind and have come up in my mind a number of times. And I, you know, I think that there probably is a scriptural, biblical, spiritual reason for why resolutions tend to come up when I consider New Year's and, and the things that God's people are intended to do at New Year's. Not because God tells us to have resolutions, but because there is a nature in us and there is a uh, human nature that wants to change things, wants to garner the best for our natural situation. And New Year's is one of those times where even if it's just traditional, we try to do that. You know what? I need to do something better. I need to pursue this good thing in our lives, in my life. I need to do this, 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 or this because my life needs to be a little bit different in this regard. That's what people do in the natural when they make resolutions. I am resolving myself that I'm going to make this change, uh, for instance. And well, isn't that what God's people are called to do? Is to be changed from glory to glory to a certain measure. Not to make resolutions, don't mistake me, don't misunderstand. Not to make resolutions per se, but to examine our lives, examine our situations, and constantly look to see where Jesus needs to be infused into that life and where the Lord would well, lead us perhaps a little bit differently or change us in the manner that we think or, or do certain things. Um, yeah. 
I see it. And so resolutions come up a lot in my mind as I consider New Year's and I consider God's Word during New Year's. Now that being said, I don't encourage anyone to make resolutions. I don't encourage God's people to make a resolution because a resolution is by definition a promise to one's self to do something or not do something. Uh, that's the Cambridge Dictionary. Google says it's just a firm decision to do or not to do something. And people at New Year's, when they make a resolution, I'm making this resolution that I'm not going to drink anymore. Uh, that's a common resolution with a number of different people. I'm going to stop drinking from here on out or at some point during this year. I, I promise I'm going to do this. There are less serious ones. I'm going to learn how to crochet this year. You know, that's what my re- resolution... Not mine. I'm not going to learn... <laughs> You know, I, I appreciate those ones who have that talent, but it's not one that I'm going to pursue. But there are a number of other different resolutions that you can do. I promise I'm going to finally just buckle down and learn how to play piano this year. And then the year passes, and what happens? You haven't learned to crochet. Perhaps one is still tipping back the bottle, whatever the case may be. And when I consider those resolutions, it's... Re, re, um, constantly reminded to me just how dangerous promises can be, whether they're to myself or to someone else. Certainly when we make promises to the Lord, but I'll put that aside. Promises are those things where your honor's at stake, you know, where where you're putting your good name out there and saying, I'm going to do this. And promises to ourselves, at least in the context of New Year's resolutions, they so, so, so often fail. I've looked up, I mean, I did my own research as Brother David was talking this morning. I did my own research in a number of different places. Confirmed. Well, I'll just give you one. Ohio State University did a study and they said that literally 91% of all of those ones that they, that they gathered in the research for, 91% of those resolutions that are made by those who were studied, and they took a broad cross-section of the country, 91% of those ones are disregarded and dismissed within like the first month or something along those lines. 91% of resolutions fail New Year's resolutions. How come? Why is that, that they fail? Well, there are a lot of different reasons. A lot of different reasons. First off, James 4, that verse that we just read a moment ago, verse 14. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. No, we don't. We sure don't. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. That's suggesting, number one, that our life is short. That it's brief. And in the scope of eternity, you know... Well, however many years the Lord has for me, in the scope of eternity, whatever those years might be, are brief. So that is in part what James is saying here. That that like a vapor, poof, it's gone. It's gone, just, just like that. But you know, it's not only speaking of length there, it speaks of strength. How strong is a vapor to you? Uh, we have a little vaporizer at home. You put water in it, you turn it on, you know, when you're Sinuses are all plugged up and that sort of thing. Just little vapor cascades so delicately over the side. And, you know, if I punch that vapor, do I feel any resistance on my knuckles? No, I don't, because vapor is, it's weak. Vapor is weak in length and in strength. And my life is a vapor. I don't, I don't have a lot of strength in and of myself. 91% of resolutions fail Because people don't have a lot of strength in themselves. They don't have a lot of capability. Now, they went on, this particular study went on to talk about why these promises aren't kept, even if intentions are good. And it makes sense because, well, first off, these promises are made based on tradition. It's January 1, New Year's Eve. Tradition says I need to set out some resolutions and and fix what's going on. You know, it's based on tradition rather than need. It's not based on something that they actually look and say, I have got to do something different. So that makes sense why it would be weak. Also, resolutions tend to involve some kind of struggle. And so people don't account for the obstacles that will be before them. The difficulty of those resolutions. I want to stop drinking. I'm going to stop right now, even though I've done it for 40 years of my life. And barring God's miraculous hand of healing upon you, which, praise the Lord, I've seen that. Barring that, you have DTs that are going to be popping up. You're going to have a real physiological response and you're going to have obstacles that arise. 
They say that they also don't accomplish those goals because they set too lofty a goal. Too high, a, a too, this is way more than you can expect. Take smaller, difficult, but more feasible chunks, they say. And they also say that one of the reasons why they fail, the fourth top reason why, is because they don't have an element of accountability in there. They don't hold themselves before somebody else. They don't say, hey, bro, this is my resolution. I need you to recognize what I need to do so you can hold me accountable to that. And there are a number of other reasons why people's resolutions fail. And yet, people make promises to themselves every year. And 91% of them, again, fail. Now, with that happy little consideration, that 91% of those resolutions fail, I took it upon myself to look at the top resolutions across America based on different surveys collated together and look at these four resolutions. I've got four resolutions for you and I'm going to do my best to get through them quickly so that we don't spend too much time on them. But I thought to myself, what are the number, the, the highest, most common resolutions that these people are failing in? And I say these people, I, I would be the same if, if I threw resolutions out there. I mean, yeah, far be it for me to criticize. That's not what my point is. But what is it that they're failing at? What is it that America is failing at that they want to do different? And there's not just some kind of, oh my goodness, that is a special one there. Wow, that is... No, there's nothing like that. Nothing here is going to surprise you with these top four. You're going to look at them, you're going to say, okay, yeah. And so what if they fail at it? It's really not that big a deal. Let's talk about that, shall we? Let's just consider these things this morning. The, the top four resolutions that have been submitted in a cross-section of America for 2024. And we can see for ourselves this morning... Well, what America is going to fail at uh, in this upcoming year, at least 91% of the time, it seems. What do they want to adjust? And as it applies to us, are these things that we're going to consider, these four resolutions, as it applies to us, and that's the big disclaimer, as it applies to us, is it worth taking these four things and pushing them into our own 9%? 9% of success, 9% of seeing to it that these do not fail in our own respective lives. And you'll see what I'm talking about as we go. So, as I said, none of them are going to surprise you, uh, though the order of them might surprise you. I don't know. But here's number four. We'll start at number four and we'll move up as we go this morning. Number four is to spend more time with friends and family. I resolve that I'm going to spend more time with friends and family. As we were sitting in Sunday school this morning, as it oftentimes does, regardless of who the teacher is, I find myself thinking, well, who's tying into my notes this morning? What in the world? Brother David mentioned the importance of family this morning. And there is value to friends and family on a natural level. Uh, all kinds of secular studies and psychological studies and sociological studies, all these things will tell you that there is benefit, and even they'll go so far as to say there's need for family. There's a crucial need if someone's going to grow well-adjusted and, and, and have the life of profit that they, well, that they should and that they could. The family decreases stress, and that makes me scratch my head on that because, you know... It doesn't matter if it's immediate family or, or extended family. Stress is not something, not something that I would remove uh, from a family situation. And that doesn't mean that just you have trouble. You have people with issues. It just means on a good level. We're going to have Christmas. Where's it going to be? What am I going to bring? Who's going to be there? How many are going to be there? Uh, what's the timing? Who's going to be off? And, you know, good stress is still stress. That being said, having family. Having friends uh, overall lends to the decrease of overall anxiety, they say, with people. And I I will stand firm and say it depends on who your friends are, (laughs) depends on who your family is. Uh, That being said, uh, there's strength there, strength in numbers, strength in, well, in people who share your hobbies and share your interests and share your blood and share your, I don't know, common experiences and so on and so forth. There's happiness that can be found with having things in common with people. There's a measure of camaraderie that comes with having such things in common. We understand that. Certainly, if you share values, even apart from spiritual things, you have commonality with people. You have common ground with those friends and family. And so it serves its purpose, right? To find some measure of increased happiness by spending more time with them. Uh, 
You know, I know that there are people here who have limited family, limited friends on a natural level. Uh, Even so, do we have the opportunity as God's people to have things in common such as interests, blood, experience, values, and the like? I think that we do have plenty of opportunity to have family, right? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So, even if we're not blood-related, we have a huge commonality, you know, shared. A huge thing. And when I say huge, it's, well, it's not hyperbole. You can't have hyperbole when you talk about the importance of the presence of Jesus in the midst of a relationship. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, even if nothing else... Skin color, age, gender, whatever the case might be, natural family, if Jesus is something shared between you and me, we have enough in common that we can be friends. (laughs) We are indeed family. We're all part of the household of God. It's a commonality that should join us. Behold how good and how pleasant it is, David says in Psalm 133, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Man, that's not just rah, rah, good job, coach, you know, win one for the Gipper talk. That's not. There's a certain measure of unity that we're called to have. Called to join together in, well, in in unity. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As we understand that Jesus makes us family, Jesus makes family, Jesus makes friends, should we then desire to spend more time with family and friends then? Should we desire to do as, well, resolution number four would have us do naturally speaking? Should we desire that spiritually speaking? Scripture tells us yes. Ephesians 4, I'm not disappointed even though I kind of tailed off with my inflection there. Ephesians 4 and verse 1 tells us the good news. The good news that we can please the Lord. We can please the Lord when he directs us even in things that are difficult. Uh, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It's I want you not just to say that you have owned and deserved this walk, but that you walk in a manner that one can look and say, this is a Christian walk. This is a life that is refl- <clears throat> excuse me, reflective of the Lord Jesus and, and what a Christian should be. With all lowliness and gentleness, he says, to walk with long suffering. And then it says there, bearing with one another in love. It doesn't say celebrating good times and sharing and, 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 and partying and just really, you know, hugging and all this stuff. It says bearing with one another. <laughs> I love how it says that. Uh, well, because sometimes you do have to bear with family and friends, you know, with your teeth clenched there. Sometimes family and friends wouldn't be what you would choose. But when you have Jesus between you, evidently it's what God chooses. And I... Well, I want to side with him. And he says to bear with one another in love. Now I want to also say that that doesn't mean just I'm going to bear with you. It means, oh, you have a load. Let me bear that load with you. There's a shared bearing. There's a joining together with that one. Whether you like that person or not, if they're family and they're friends, there's a measure of bearing up with them. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And there are a billion other passages that I could use to support this. This concept that even when it's difficult, even when we don't share much more, if anything, than Jesus between us. Well, the Lord would have us to spend more time with friends and family. How do we put it in practice? How do we spend that time? Dare I go to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Not putting off, not dismissing, not ignoring the need that the Lord has established, the order that He has established for His people, who are friends and family in Christ, to gather together, as some do, is what it's saying. Not forsaking, as some do push that aside, but instead exhorting one another. And so much the more. Not not so much the less. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Saints, we're starting a new year, and I think to myself oftentimes, one year closer. Yeah, 
One year closer, I see the day approaching. And so I want to gather. I want to spend more time with family and friends. That's what he tells us to do. Resolution number four, spend more time with friends and family. Is that a valid pursuit for God's people, even if we don't promise it to ourselves or certainly to Him? The need is recognized there. Assemble. Assemble often. Assemble regularly. Bear with one another. Lift one another up. Bear one another's burdens. It's a pursuit worth making, and it's a pursuit that God has called us to. And so, yeah, I would say that that's one that we should put in our 9%, or seek to anyway. That being said, moving on to the third most common resolution for 2024. And it opens up the door to, obviously, physical health. Physical health and physical longevity. Specifically in what one eats. 47% of those who were, well, those who were surveyed uh, among this great large um, number that they asked said that they want to eat better. They want to eat healthier. Now, in this day and age, I believe we are, well, let me say it this way. I'm not even talking about food. Uh, I remember sitting on an L-1011 airplane flying to Puerto Rico in the middle five seats, three, three, five, sitting there with my elbows in, tucked in like this, mom sitting on this side, and some unknown guy sitting on this side, and he fired up a cigarette <laughs> on an airplane. Now, some of you younger kids don't remember that at all. Because we've been educated. I remember at the end when we got to Puerto Rico, mom says, my head is hurting me so bad because that man's cigarettes. Uh, I can't even imagine someone firing up a smoke on an airplane these days. Because we're educated in it. Right? The Surgeon General has a huge warning. I don't hold a pack of cigarettes very often. It's been a long time. Been a long time, but I know that there's a label on it that says the Surgeon General says that this will, you know, rot your lungs or, or you know, leads to lung cancer, etc., etc. You don't see cigarette commercials on TV anymore because we're educated in these things, and we recognize there's absolutely no value, no good for your body. They used to have doctors in magazines. You can look them up. Magazine advertisements where a doctor sitting there with his little mirror that I don't even know if doctors ever used it, but you know. Head strap, white coat, and he's got a little, you know, lucky strike right here. And he's like, these really help me get through my day, you know, surgery and all the like, you know. It's interesting what happens over time. And you get educated on things. We're not even talking about cigarettes. We're talking about food. People are well educated. We hear all the time. You know, we talk about trans fats, sat fats, unsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats. We've talked about cholesterol and heart health. We've talked about the need for fill in the blank, complex carbohydrates rather than simple carbohydrates, all kinds of things. You, you can't go a month, let alone another year, without knowing that another fad diet is on the way because they've recognized, oh, you know what, you can, if you just rule out all carbohydrates and do protein only, then that's what's going to... What it all comes back to, we understand, is, you know what, uh, in moderation, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, get your fiber, eat... Uh, you know, little processed sugar, processed food, all of those things. Eat healthier, man. You understand what it is. Eat healthier. People get it. But, you know, it's one of those things that they struggle with. I do, I do too. Uh, Allie and I said, you know what, we need to, we need to not eat added sugar. We're, you know, let's, just, let's just take a month and just rule out the added sugar. And I'm like, yes, man, I did fantastic this week. So last night I said, I want to go grab some custard. <laughs> I I've done so good, and New Year's Day is tomorrow, you know, or New Year's Eve is tomorrow, so, you know, it's not New Year's yet, and I find myself feeling foolish because I'm like, what am I preaching on tomorrow? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, just, it's just human nature, right? It's human nature. That being said, I think I'm a relatively healthy eater because I've been educated on what's good for me and what isn't, and I choose to eat in moderation and make sure that I get plenty of this and that. All that to be said, or all that said. People recognize they need to eat healthier. 50% of America's daily energy consumption comes from junk food, they say. comes from processed food. And I could qualify and define junk food for you, but just understand, it's valid. Junk food is processed, not natural, not real. It's processed food. And half of that, half of our uh, calories come from, as a country, junk food. 
I'm not here to preach to you about junk food this morning, I promise. I don't care if we eat McDonald's every morning. I'm going to dime out my friends over here, but Jim had a shake this morning for breakfast, and Diane told me, I had McDonald's for breakfast. And I'm like, my poor sister, you're going to be in our, my sermon this morning, no, no doubt. <laughs> that being said, <clears throat> that being said, we understand. We understand that we need to eat better. But what that means is thinking about what you're going to eat, right? Thinking about putting it together. Okay, I have a meal plan here. I can't just go to the, open up the pantry and grab a cup of cup noodles, you know, or ramen or something like that. Processed, processed, processed. You have to actually think about things. Produce is going to spoil, so you have to get it relatively fresh. But if you want fresh fruits and vegetables, you have to go to the store. You have to get it. You have to wash it and clean it because of, you know, all those people's hands who have been on it, all the junk that's on it. You have to prepare that food. You have to spend your time in purchasing and picking and planning, then preparing it. And then oftentimes, you know what? It's just not as yummy. (laughs) You know, you have to give up sometimes. What is good? Now, what you will find is that you develop a taste for that good food. Man, I like good fruit. Man, I do like good fresh fruit. And you develop a taste for that. But the fact of the matter is, is fast food, junk food is fast, quick, easy. You don't have to think about it. You stick it in the microwave. You throw it on the deal. You run through the drive-thru and it's done. Bang, bang. I'm full. little queasy, but <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm full. How's my diet spiritually? Where does it go? Right? What does that mean to us? Do I need to eat healthier spiritually? Again, I don't care what you do, what you eat, you know, as far as just natural things go. But has, as this applies to God's people is, well, I need to think to myself, am I eating as healthy as I could be? Could I stand to consider just a little bit more? Planning my meal, right? Preparing my meal. Foregoing the quick and the easy and perhaps the yummier parts of things that we would satisfy with ourselves. You know, God's people oftentimes don't consider their spiritual diet. It simply is what it is. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews is speaking to these ones who weren't considering their diet. And indeed, they weren't eating what they were intended to eat. They were shortchanging themselves. He says, "For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and that means masters or instructors, or in our context of our thought this morning, I'm going to call it an executive chef. By this time, you should be a chef, man. You should understand what the elements are, what the components are of a proper meal, and be able to put it together. You don't, you don't have to be a chef even to put together a meal that you're like, okay, this is, this is good for me. Man, I'll get, you know, a little bit of turkey, a couple of multigrain crackers, perhaps, some cheese and a big fruit and some carrots and hummus. You know, it doesn't sound like a real chef's cuisine type meal. But you know what? It checks off all the groups. And it feeds me. It makes me full. And it's relatively good for me because it involves everything. You don't have to do a whole lot of, whole lot of things to eat well. You just have to consider it. He says, by this time, you want to be a chef. And yet you need someone to teach, to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Uh, you've been eating junk food. You have been eating pre-processed spam loaf spiritually. <laughs> For some time your teeth can't hold up. You can't chew into anything of substance. He's not, he's not belittling these ones. He's just saying you're not in spiritual shape to handle Well, even a substantive meal uh, spiritually. Now, milk has a time and a place, but not for an adult in God, not for the mature in faith. The milk should have been put away some time ago. Now, as we always say, man, I like a good glass of milk, especially with junk food cookies. I mean, it is what it is. I'll put that part aside from the metaphor. A good glass of cold milk, man, it's satisfying from time to time. It's good for me from time to time. should not be my sole source of substance, right? should not be my sole food intake, that glass of milk. Certainly not the junk food. Certainly not the little Smokies that I brought downstairs this morning. Certainly not Whoppers and McChickens and all of those things. That's not what we're looking for spiritually. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. It goes on in verse 13. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And not just solid and, man, this is, 
this thing's frozen. This No, it means well-constructed food. Well-put-together food. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Saints, when I used to mow with Bobby, we had our mowing business. Some of you might remember when we used to come around church and we'd mow the parsonage and, and so on and so forth. We had a mowing business together. And in the morning, we'd go and we'd fuel up, uh, take our trailer full of stuff to Quick Trip. And man, it was like a little ritual for me. I'd go in and I'd get a Java Monster energy drink and a jalapeno cheese sausage roll. And that was what I ate in the morning. Man, you know... At some point, spiritually, you have to put away the sausage roll, man. You have to forget the the monster drinks. You know, there's a time and a place for milk. The honest truth, and I mean this with all my heart, I should have never touched those monsters. should have never touched those energy drinks. Because there was no benefit there, and I could have had something much, much better. It was not good for me. And I'll even go on to say, guess what? My kids have drunk energy drinks before. My kids saw me drink such things. I don't want my kids drinking that garbage because it's not good for them. Your spiritual diet doesn't just impact you. People learn. People see you and they recognize, what is he eating there? That looks good to me. Or maybe it should look good to me. Why does it look good to him? And they will pay attention. They will notice. They will see. We can and we should consider what we're eating and then Plan time to eat well. Make time to prepare and choose quality food, spiritually speaking. And then put in the effort that it takes to actually put it together and to consume it. Be diligent. Study, it says in the King James Version, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, splitting, parting out, opening up, separating, looking, And then putting it back together and consuming it. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Even if it's not tasty. Even if it's not convenient. Even if it takes some effort, some work. Uh, Psalm 119, babe. I don't know why that went so fast forward. But Psalm 119, 147 verse and 148. I rise before the dawning of the morning, the psalmist says, and cry for help. I hope in your word. It's not always, well, it's not always what we want to hear. His words. Not always what we want to eat. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I might, or that I may meditate on your word. It's not always comforting when I'm up at night and I'm thinking and talking to the Lord. When He gives me a word, well, when He is teaching me something, has taught me something in the past, it's not always what I've wanted to hear. How about you? When you're struggling with something and He says, you remember this part of my scripture? Think on this. I don't like that part of your scripture (laughs) when you get right down to it sometimes. That's not the part that I want to apply to this part of my life. I I much, much prefer this part here where it says you're going to uphold me by my right hand rather than this part where it says I'm going to strike you with my right hand. I prefer this part. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes you have to eat the broccoli, so to speak. Sometimes you have to prepare and say, what is the Lord correcting me for? Why do I feel chastised? And then as you search and you take the time to rightly divide the word, you recognize, where have I been? (gasps) I've been misstepping in this. I I wasn't thinking correctly. I forgot that the Lord has this. I'm really kind of summing this up rather quickly. But sometimes it really is just that simple. That the Lord puts on your heart and stirs on your heart, makes you feel queasy, and you realize, oh my goodness, man, I've been eating nothing but chicken McNuggets for the last month. And I haven't taken the time to open this up and consider. And he, well, you recognize what good food is. You recognize the benefit that comes from preparing it. And he blesses you in that. Yeah, I'd say number three, spiritually speaking, is worth, well, worth being part of our 9%. For time's sake, I'm going to skip over a couple of passages there. And we'll move on to, well, resolution number two. Uh, Allie, if you could take me to resolution number two. 50% of those who were surveyed said, I need to exercise more. It's kind of keeping with the theme, right? 
Healthier eating, I need to exercise as well. Now, we understand why they want to do this, because as we've been educated in food and the benefits of food, we've also been educated in the benefits of exercise. A number of different times over the course of my old career, people would retire. You know, I looked at my watch the other day, and at the end of a day, I had 3,000 steps. Now, some of you might say, wow, that's a lot of steps. If you say that, I'm sorry. That is, <laughs> that is not a lot of steps. On an average day at the fire department, I got 15,000 steps. And, you know, sometimes over 20. Uh, 3,000 steps I had the other day. 3,000 steps. And I was like, oh my goodness, no wonder I feel like a veal right now because I haven't gotten up and I haven't walked around and I haven't done this sort of thing. At the old job, I would walk around and, and just be busy going. And so you'd see these guys, they hit 60 years old, 55 years old or whatever, and they'd leave. Some of them would go and have, you know, real productive retirements, you know, and go do stuff. But others would be done and they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. And they'd sit down in their respective homes and they just rusted up. And they'd come, we'd see them maybe a year later at some kind of you know, event or something. You're like, whoa, bro, you, you aged a bunch over the year. You don't tell them that, of course. Or you tell them and bust their chops. It depends on who, who they were. But like, man, you are, and you know, they're walking slower. And you're like, we, we were just running calls, you know, very, very recently. It's because they stop exercising, just simply moving around. Functional movement, functional exercise. You know, there's a thing that I like to do from time to time. Twelve exercises, they say. Push up, push up, do like two push ups, do two sit ups, jump up in the air two times, do this two times, kick two times, just because it's functional movement. And over the course of doing that day in and day out, you don't lose that function because you've actually done the function, not sat down. There's benefit to exercise. It helps you with your anxiety, it helps you with your stress and so on and so forth. It gets your blood flowing. They talk about it blowing out the cobwebs. You know, Justin tells me with my truck, a red line a day keeps the mechanic away. Sometimes you just need to pump up your body too so that your body's doing things, right? So that your body is well off. It's exercising. Even if it takes time and takes effort, takes planning and you have to adjust your schedule to make time for that. And there's a measure of pain involved. Right? You know how it is, especially if you've had time off. These people who make these resolutions, I'm going to exercise. I haven't exercised except for January 1 of last year. Haven't exercised since. The gyms are full right now. I guarantee you on January 2, there, is, there are some people who are in pain. In pain on January 2nd because they haven't been in a gym for 364 days. So they go in there and they're working out and all that. And then the next morning, they're like, oh man, what did I do to myself? And then that... Well, keeps them, keeps them from putting that into their 9%. Let me say it that way. And again, I sound like I'm disparaging them. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just calling it what it is. Paul talks about our exercise spiritually, right? It goes along with our spiritual diet, of course. 1 Timothy chapter 4, he speaks to him. He says, reject profane and old wives' fable, old wives fables. You know what? We'll go ahead and say you can reject old men's fables as well. But it is what it is there. But he goes on to say, and exercise yourself toward godliness. And I like it because exercise there means just what exercise means. It means train. It means train and train hard. I'll let you do a word study on that. And look and see what all of the details are in regards to that word for exercise. It means to do so without encumbrance. Without any kind of hindrance. It means to train with no pretense, no pretext, no anything. It means to devote yourself to this. Exercise without any kind of ensnaring. Exercise. Towards what? Towards, you know, 24-inch pythons. No. Towards a 600-pound squat. That's not what he's talking about. Exercise and train yourself towards godliness. Now, how do you do that? Well, you train and you train hard, but in what? You train as Paul did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he speaks to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? How? Well, you run in such a way that you may obtain it. Train. Train in your running. Get out there and actually run. Learn how to run better. And guess what? As was said again this morning, we have a textbook here that tells us 
how to train. That demonstrates why we should train. That gives us examples of others who have trained before and others who have not trained before. And the, well, the corresponding and correlating results for each one of those. We've seen this. Train. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. One that doesn't die. Not the laurel wreath that's going to turn brown. You know, unless you set it in acrylic. Not, not just a gold medal or a silver medal. May or may not tarnish, but over the course of time, people don't remember you. Right? We have wrestlers in this room, you know, working real hard to wrestle. We have other, other folks who have done athletic things. Man, the Olympic champion, if I said Rulon Gardner to you, probably most people in here not wrestlers would be like, who? Man, he was, the, he was the toast of the town when he won the Olympics 20 years ago. How long has it been? Everyone talked about him. He's on People Magazine, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, because he, he, he beat the, the famous Russian that, that no one expected him to beat. This guy from Iowa went in there and smoked him. And now he's back in Iowa on a farm somewhere. Because the laurel wreath, naturally speaking, it wilts, man. And the, the Olympic medal, it tarnishes. People forget. Not so this imperishable crown. Man, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget your training. God helps you with your training. He doesn't forget the crown that you've been seeking. Now, I like that quote that says, hard, works beats, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Talent being those God-given gifts that people can have naturally speaking. Naturally speaking, we don't have any God-given gifts, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying we have spiritual talent, and that's redemption. God-given by no doing of our own other than believing. The Lord has blessed us. Salvation and redemption are your own. What do we do with that? Not work for work's sake. Please do not misunderstand me. But merely owning that talent that the Lord has given us, that capability of walking right into heaven, doesn't assure us anything other than just a place in heaven. So, train. Train. After we've received that redemption, then that's when the difficulty begins. The enemy sets his bullseye, we understand. Well, our flesh wants us to go after the other things. Wants us not to eat healthy. Wants us not to train, spiritually or naturally speaking. It, it, our flesh gets in the way. People are going to people. And they're going to try to pull you one way or the other outside of that calling that the Lord has for us. Everything pushes against the new creation when we become one in Christ. Uh, Jesus told him, He says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Lambs had better learn how to hold their own amongst the wolves, right? That's what he was saying. And of course we hold our own through the strength and the enabling of God. Through Christ in us, the hope of glory. But we are required as his sheep, lambs among wolves. We'd better be fit. And that's what he was implying to those disciples there, just as Paul was. Back in verse 26 of that, of that passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 9. Therefore I run thus. This is how I do it. Not with uncertainty, with dedication, with purpose, with absolute understanding of where I'm going and why. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. I don't just swing at nothing and miss. I take aim. I prepare. I look. And I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, it says. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I look at myself, he says, and even when it's difficult, even when it's tiresome, even when it's not convenient, even when it takes planning and preparation and time and effort and even pain as a result of it, well, he did. He disciplined his body and he brought it under subjection. For physical reasons, perhaps, but certainly for spiritual reasons. Uh, bodily exercise profits a little, he went on to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8. But godliness is profitable for all things. Saints, spiritual exercise is worth the benefit. It's worth the payoff. It's worth the commitment we understand. It requires eating well. It requires preparing your plan. It requires all of those things, spiritually speaking. Uh, but it's well, well worth it. And so I will close uh, with one more here. These three that we talked about here, they're not bad things, naturally speaking. Spend more time with friends and family, eat healthier, exercise more. All of these things benefit you, naturally speaking, right? 
All of them do. Um, all of them have some measure of benefit. That's actually number two there, even though it says a three. Uh, number two was exercise more. The number one resolution, I think it's interesting because it departs from health. And if you pursue number one, it can actually hinder the other three that we talked about. And, well, there's number three, it says. It's actually number one. Not sure what's going on with my numbers here, but it's number one. The number one resolution for 2024 across America. Save more money. And so you understand what I mean when I say, you know, you want to save an incredible amount of money, then you better not visit any friends or family. You better... (laughs) You know, it's true. Family eats your money up. Uh, also, eating well, eating healthy, that, that costs you, man. Like I said, little cup noodles cost 27 cents. I could eat for forever on well, very, very little amount of money. I wouldn't be very healthy. Exercise more? Yeah, you can exercise without money, but if you want a gym and all of those sorts of things. Anyway, what I'm saying is saving more money can actually negatively impact The rest of those things. I think that's interesting myself. Uh, The fact of the matter is, well, if you're disciplined in saving money and you actually do dedicate it, the payoff can be sizable, don't get me wrong. What you're actually going to see can be, well, pretty pretty hefty little lump sum over the course of time. When you're looking at eternal things, when you look at... uh, eternal resolutions, if we look at these from an eternal perspective, what I like about this is that on a spiritual level, saving more money, as we'll see here in just a second, it actually, well, it doesn't have any conflict with the other three. Saving more, there's no conflict at all. Every pursuit that the Lord has for us, every dedication we have to his will and his purpose contributes to every other effort, helps everything else, especially to number one, in saving more money. Now, what are we talking about saving more money for the Lord? It's not for tithing. It's not for the offering. It's not for, you know, charity and all of those sorts of things. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And again, we are winding down, I promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul says there to begin with, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart when we assemble with family and friends, even if it's difficult, even though it takes our time. Even though we are tired, uh, I, I hear a number of times on Wednesday, and rightly so, people come in, how you doing? Man, I'm tired, it's Wednesday. Had a brother say it just this last Wednesday, I'm like, man, I get you, it's true. I, those ones who come in on those Wednesdays, midweek, man, it's difficult, and sometimes we talk about some pretty heady stuff as far as spiritual things go. It's difficult time on Wednesday. Uh, I hope the payoff, I hope the payoff is worth it to you. Uh, We don't lose heart when we assemble together. We don't lose heart when we eat well spiritually and have rightly divided the word for ourselves, not only at church, but at home. Even when it's frustrating, even when it's difficult, even when it takes some thinking, meditating, and, and searching and flipping pages and researching to rightly divide. We don't lose heart then. And when we're exercising what the Lord has taught us, when we're disciplining our bodies, when we're keeping our minds stayed upon Him, uh, doing, occupying ourselves as He would call us to, even when it's, well, when those burdens are sometimes unimaginable that He calls us through, we do not lose heart. How come? Because if we're disciplined in those things, the payoff can be sizable. The payoff can be sizable. These ones who want to save money, natural, naturally speaking, when we are disciplined and we set aside the riches and glory that the Lord has for us. The payoff is sizable. Look how he keeps going here in 2 Corinthians 4. Even though our outward man is perishing, we don't lose heart. The outward man taking a beating, as it were, as we discipline these bodies, as the Lord would have us to. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's a blessing. That's that's an abundance, a part of that abundant life that the Lord has for us. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, and can we define that moment as perhaps a vapor? (laughs) Which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We talk about dollars, you know. I give you, I can give you a hundred. And I don't know, I've never put it on my coffee scale, but I imagine a bill probably weighs a couple of grams probably. 
man, I would like to have a weight of bills. You know, I want to, you know, I mean, a hefty amount. I held a paper sack with $38,000 cash in at one time. I was like, ooh, that is substantial. You know, but it still was fairly light. I won't tell you why some other time. $38,000, I want a substantial weight of bills. Uh, This is an exceeding and eternal weight. Heft of glory. That is, in comparison, light afflictions of a vaporous life that has short length, short strength perhaps, but wow, the result from one that is well invested. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Saints, when we do the first three that we considered there, well, then we save money, as it were. We're stacking up the riches, stacking up the treasures that the Lord has for us. Gold, silver, and precious stones as opposed to wood, hay, and stubble that we can sit and examine with the Lord Jesus before His judgment seat. That's what we lay up. We're saving money, as it were. Forget the natural bank account. I'm talking about eternal and spiritual things. I'm grateful for that opportunity and that privilege and that the other three resolutions there contribute to that rather than conflict with that. Saints, I don't make resolutions, as I told you. I might make things just in passing. I use January 1 as a benchmark oftentimes. You know what, I want to cut out sugar for a while. Yes, let's just go ahead and say January 1 since we're right here because that gives me just a benchmark and I can look at myself at the end and say, yeah, since the turn of the new year I haven't eaten it and this is what my benefit is. I feel better about that. Yeah, I'll use it as a benchmark from time to time. But I don't encourage you to make any promises to yourself. I don't encourage you to make any promises, certainly not to the Lord, and tell Him what you're going to do. How come? Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, right? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. What we need to do is we need to recognize that these four things that we've looked at this morning are things that we should assess for ourselves and determine, are these going to be part of my 9%? Am, am I going to take these things and by the grace of God bring them before Him and say, Lord, let these please be part of my 9% success rate. Don't let them become a part of the 91%. We need to realize and recognize where we need to spend more time with our friends and family. We need to recognize that we need to eat healthier, if that be the situation. If we're existing on spiritual junk food, we need to recognize if we need to discipline our own bodies and minds with exercise of the spiritual sort and settle into the race. And we need to recognize that in doing so, we do save and lay up more and more riches in glory. Does the Lord want us to do this? Well, it says it's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. God wants you to eat better. He wants you to exercise more. Spiritually speaking, He wants you to spend time with friends and family. And He certainly wants you to lay up those riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I know that he will do that for you in 2024. If you hand those things over to him. Saints, I, I mean it with all my heart. I hope we don't see 2025. But if we are to see 365 days of 2024, I trust the Lord to do exactly what he wants to do. Uh, if we dedicate our spiritual health, our spiritual well-being, and our spiritual bank account, if you will, to Him for the year in its entirety. We will be blessed eternally for it. I highly encourage you to do that instead of any resolutions.